Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Another edition of Penn Live's Blue White Breakdown, our Penn State football podcast featuring myself, Bob Flounders, and Greg Pickle. You know, one of these days, maybe we'll get some theme music. We don't need it for the whole show, Greg, but a little theme music, maybe to intro it and outro it. I don't know who would do that, do that at Penn Live. I don't know if we could make Joe Hermit do it because he's got weird music tastes and it might turn off the whole Penn State fan base. So maybe, maybe we'll just revisit that idea. Uh, when we get closer to spring football. But, Greg, we have a lot to get to. I see that you recovered from uh, championship game Sunday in, uh, in the NFL. I know you had, a great, you had a great time watching the games. Some Penn State players are going to be in the Super Bowl, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We have a ton of Penn State football news, as always, in the offseason. We've got news on Penn State uh, athletic, uh, athletic director, uh, Sandy Barber, who had a 45 minute press conference earlier this week, touched on a variety of subjects. We're going to get to, uh, what spring ball might look like for Penn state, some news on Kirk Shiraka and what he was making at Penn state, uh, how the COVID pandemic, uh, affected the Penn state athletic department financially, uh, for the first year. Penn State has got another grad transfer uh, very recently, almost hot off the presses, Greg, so that's exciting. Um, we'll talk about him from the Ivy League, no less. Uh, another not-so-surprising uh, news nugget is Penn State has uh, another player in the transfer portal. And uh, who, uh, also a little bit of a COVID update, update on just how successful Penn State football really was in the fall, which is ast- it's astonishing news, Greg, really, when you think about all the shutdowns, all the programs that were affected by COVID. There's no question, I think, Greg, that Penn State managed the COVID pandemic in terms of keeping players healthy, not only better than anyone in the Big Ten, but maybe better than anyone in the country. Tip of the cap to James Franklin, his staff, Penn State's medical people, all those guys. Uh, but I've already been talking for over two minutes, so I'm going to shut up. Get out of your way. Greg, why don't we start with this? Uh, Sandy Barber's press conference on Tuesday, uh, mid-afternoon Tuesday, closer to three. Um, I have a couple takeaways. What was your top takeaway from Sandy's session with the media? Yeah, I thought she was pretty direct about the fact that you know, when you look at the Mike Yurcich hire, obviously James Franklin pushed them really hard to get that done, which comes as no surprise. He basically said as much during his news conference a, what, a week or two ago now. But I guess the biggest um, biggest takeaway for me was is she more or less said what the truth is. And you don't always get this kind of an answer from administrators. But 
football drives the economic uh, engine and economic uh, bus of every athletic department or almost every athletic department across college football. And so if you need to spend a little bit to win a little bit, to make a little bit more, you're going to do it. And so I think, you know, obviously we don't know what Mike Yersich's contract is. We don't know what Kirk Sharaka's buyout is, but we can assume that those two put together are absolutely in the mid seven figures, I would think, or at the very least, you know, low, they're in, it's in the seven figures. I can assure you of that. So, you know, I think that was my biggest takeaway, just the fact that she was willing to be as direct about that as she was. And then from there, you know, obviously we heard James Franklin say, Bob, so many times this year about how seriously he took the pandemic protocols and all of that. And the fact that it equaled just one positive test, which Sandy said was something that they traced back to out, unrelated to football, outside of football, I, I think really uh, really says that they did things right, even if it maybe played a role in the slow start and all of that. So, you know, we'll see how they can continue to handle that now that winter workouts are underway. But it also sounds like uh, spring ball is probably definitely going to be on the horizon. All right. So let's back up real quick. Uh, Mike Yursich, uh, the former Texas offensive coordinator, who is clearly the apple of James Franklin's eye in terms of play callers. Uh, I think you, you touched upon that a couple of weeks ago. I think he was always interested in working with him. Uh, at Texas, before the pandemic, I think he was scheduled to make $1.7 million last year at Texas. Ended up making, I believe, close to $1.5 million, just to give you an idea of maybe the going rate for Mike Yursich. As far as Kirk Shiraka, who James Franklin hired away from Minnesota uh, prior to the Cotton Bowl win over Memphis when Ricky Ronnie uh, left to become Old Dominion's head coach. He was the former OC. Uh, so Penn State and Shiraka had agreed on a multi-year deal. So James parts with, with Kirk after one year. He does have a buyout. And just to update what you said, the buyout becomes a lot smaller if Kirk uh, finds another job, I believe. And as of as we are talking about this on a gorgeous uh, Wednesday morning, Kirk is still unemployed. So that even that number, Greg, could fluctuate a little bit. So there's a little there's a little bit of leeway in there. And I would have to think at some point, Kirk Chirac is going to get a job somewhere because even though it didn't work out at Penn State, even though it didn't work out with James Franklin, if you look at his track record over 30 years. Uh, the guy is one of the better offensive coordinators uh, in college football. It's too bad it didn't work out uh, at Penn State, but James James saw his guy was available. Uh, Greg and and to his credit, he went for it. One more. Let's let's get to one more thing, maybe money related. Uh, Sandy talked about uh, uh, what Penn State had to do, uh, maybe in terms of cost cutting measures. They haven't eliminated any sports, but. Their deficit, I think, for the pandemic year was still uh, it's not as big as others, Greg. But could talk, let's just talk a little bit about that number and how maybe Penn State was able to whittle that down a little bit. Yeah, so they're looking at a shortfall of uh, like 20 to 25 million in that ballpark. And, uh, you know, they have done obviously some some people have taken pay cuts within the athletic department. She did say that there were some furloughs. Um, I'm sure that's event management staff, things like that, that weren't happening during the uh, the, as the pandemic continues. So, you know, they've saved some money there. They obviously have drawn on their reserves to help close the gap. And 
they're obviously going to hope now that some fundraising shows up. That'll be the next step to closing this gap. And they obviously got some TV revenue out of the Big Ten football season, and they'll receive some out of basketball and out of wrestling. So that money, uh, maybe not as much as projected, but something is coming in. You know, but the ticket losses are obviously considerable, considerable concessions and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's about what they projected in October when they sent that letter out to the Nittany Lion Club. Uh, people so I, I think that early on it was a lot higher and it's been reduced pretty well at this point now obviously the longer this thing goes and the more uh you know she wasn't ready i believe it was our buddy rich Garcello from the reading eagle who had asked if she was could or able to project what maybe not having fans in 2021 would mean yeah to this whole thing moving forward. And she, of course, wasn't ready to go that far just yet. But obviously that will be the the next thing. Um, yeah. You know, if that would be the case, which who knows at this point, yeah, that would obviously, I think, change things pretty drastically. But at this point, they're holding firm in terms of not cutting sports, in terms of trying to find ways to still do facilities work and stuff like that. Obviously, it's going to slow down quite a bit. But, you know, as money comes in from donors and other sources, they'll be able to move forward. So, yeah, that uh, that should wrap up the money end of things, at least for the time being. Okay. Greg, you, you did mention it. Uh, Sandy talked about the fact that uh, in a non-pandemic year, uh, this is usually right around the time Penn State is maybe not in the heart of it, but they're doing some winter conditioning with an eye towards getting the players physically ready uh, for spring ball. So there was no spring ball last year, obviously because of the pandemic, um, but they did have winter conditioning last year. That was one of the few, that was one of the last times you and I think we're able to go up to state college, be around the players, see James, uh, see Dwight Galt, the strength and conditioning coach. And then right after that, things got really, unfortunately, uh, really nasty with regard to COVID. But the reason I bring that up is Sandy said they are doing, I think, some winter conditioning now. And in some way, shape or form, there will be on-field spring drills, it sounds like, for Penn State. Um, they, they were able to do some things in the fall when the team was uh, was in the midst of their nine-game regular season on a week-to-week -week basis. Last spring, no spring drills uh, on the field. Everything was basically done, Greg, via Zoom. But this year will be a little different um, with the protocols in place, with uh, hopefully with eventually some, uh, some of the vaccine getting out there, maybe uh, to some of the younger folks. But Greg, so there will that to me, that is, I think, important to note that even if even if we can't see it and even if maybe there's no blue white game, which is probably dicey at best, Penn State will have some semblance of spring football. And I think uh, not only for Penn State, but for for everyone else in the country, um, you need you do the importance of spring ball. Uh, you know, you, you can't state how important that is enough. Yeah, no, no disagreement there, Bob. And I guess the question now will just be, you know, will that happen during or on the traditional timeline? Is that yeah. something that, you know, we've talked before about maybe they push it back a little bit, yeah. maybe toward starting in April instead of ending in April. So I think that's still a possibility is going to have to be discussed. So, yeah, they still have some things to figure out. I mean, look, let's be honest, they might play a blue white game, but uh, no <laughs> one's going to be there. I, they just I don't think there's any chance of that being the case. Um for spring practice, you know, of course, in past years, they had let the media in for a period of time. I can't imagine that's going to be the case this year, just like it wasn't for practices last year. But it's something that 
no matter who's in there watching it, whether it's recruits because the dead period ends, whether it's simply just people within the program, it's something Penn State needs because, and every obviously every college football program needs, but uh, we saw last year that trying to put an offense in over Zoom, yeah. over electronic communications and all that, it just isn't, it, it's just not something that is going to work in most cases, and I certainly don't think it did in this one. Okay, hey, we're already halfway home uh, on the Blue White Breakdown, the Penn the Penn Live Penn State Football Podcast. Uh, I'm joined by Greg Pickle. I'm Bob Flounders. Uh, it's almost intermission, Greg. So talk to our audience about what we have going on, uh, how they can kind of subscribe, ask us some questions, tell us how we're doing, where they can find it. If you need a couple, if you need about thirty seconds to get Lola. Uh, your prized golden retriever, some peanut butter. I'm good with it. I know the fan base would be good with it, but just tell the audience what they could do, where they can find us, what we got going on. Uh, we promise, we promise, we've talked about Dave Jones being on the podcast for about over a month now. We are not, we're not the boys who cried wolf, right? As, as it stands now, I think we're going to get Dave back on the podcast uh, maybe next week. And he just had a nice, he just wrote a column on <clears throat> Sandy Barber, uh, today, <clears throat> and I'm sure he's going to have some thoughts on what's going on since the end of Penn State's regular season. But Greg, take it away. That's right, Bob. Yes, Dave will be joining us next week for an extended edition of the Blue White Breakdown podcast, which of course is now in season two. It can be found wherever you get your audio, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find us. And as for the video version, you can find that at PennLive, or I'm sorry, YouTube.com. Slash all Penn State. You know, I've said that so many times, Bob. You think I wouldn't screw oh, it up by now, but that's yeah, okay. I always screw it up, Greg. At some point, I think uh, we got you. Since you, I think you have to do it. You have to approach one of our bosses, and I think we know who I'm talking about, and say, you know, we're doing this podcast. How about <clears throat> how about we shell out some bucks and get some blue white breakdown swag? Maybe some shirts, maybe some hats. Maybe we can give those out to some loyal followers. Uh, we can ask some questions. We can do this, do a little bit to promote the show. If we're not going to have theme music, uh, I think you can put in a requisition for maybe some swag, uh, and we can go from there. Hopefully, I'm, I'm assuming it would be blue and white, but you never know uh, with Penn Live and their their thoughts on that. But that's just something maybe we should we can do in 2021. Maybe we can give out some uh, blue white breakdown swag. I know people will be just dying to get their hands on that, Greg. We have some player news, some personnel news. Uh, and let's start with the addition because it's pretty recent. Penn State uh, going into this week had four players they have added uh, through the transfer portal. Uh, a Duke defensive lineman. Let me see if I can get this right. A Baylor running back. A Temple defensive end. What's the one I'm missing? Who am I missing, Greg? Who's the fourth? John Dixon, the corner from South John, Carolina. John, John Dixon. Yeah. And now, Sorry, John. And now, uh, Greg, they've added an offensive lineman from the Ivy League. Uh, why, do, why don't you take it away? Tell us how it came about. And do you have kind of an early read on this player? 
Yeah, so Eric Wilson is a former All-League player at Harvard. He sat out last season, of course, because Ivy League didn't play due to the pandemic. So he has that working against him. But, you know, AL.com as a sister site of us reported a few months ago that his Auburn pledge was no longer a guarantee. So he had decided that he was going to transfer to Auburn once he graduates in the spring back in November. And then when Gus Malzahn was fired, he felt blindsided. He felt like he was left out of the loop. He didn't know what his future with the Tigers was going to be. So Penn State swooped in and after a couple months is able to get his uh, get his commitment. And once he graduates in the spring, he'll be on campus ready for spring practice in state college. So interesting get 6'4", 280. Uh, again, a guy who's played a lot of football at the Ivy League level, which of course is not the Big Ten level, but you know, I think he probably projects as an interior guy. Maybe not. But, you know, C.J. Thorpe leaves in the transfer portal. Michael Mennett graduates. I think we both are high on Juice Scruggs. And Mike Miranda is going to be in that conversation for the inside work. You know, Des Holmes could be as well. So we'll see how things shake out. But with some of the losses Penn State has there, uh, they get a guy that's a grad transfer, is motivated to come in and play and, and kind of get himself to the next level as quickly as possible. And he'll have an opportunity to work his way up Phil Troutwine's room. Now, is it going to be easy for him to do that? No, because again, he's not going to be here for spring practice. So that will make it a challenge. But ultimately, I, I think it's a guy, there's a reason Penn State you know, with the limited amount of space that has left, decided to go after this guy. Clearly, Troutwine likes what he sees. Obviously, Mike Yersich signed off on it, I'm sure, and James Franklin, too. So that makes five transfer portal additions, Bob. And what to what has certainly been the most positive portal <laughs> offseason of the Penn State portal era, if that's a fair way to put Maybe it. Maybe we can reach out to uh, one of our good buddies, Ross Tucker, because he's Ross is a was a uh, obviously a star offensive lineman at Princeton. <clears throat> I wonder if he's still got some Ivy League contacts, and we can maybe reach out to him see if he has any thoughts, any intel on Eric Wilson. There's no guarantees that he's going to play uh, right away because Penn State does have some talented offensive linemen coming back, but they do they do they're moving on from Michael Michael Mennett and Will Fries. You mentioned C.J. Thorpe who was at one point uh, a key reserve, uh, you know, maybe in their top eight. So, you know, you, you can make the argument. Des Holmes, I think, was was dealing with something last year. He wasn't able to b- build upon his 2019, Greg. So we're talking about maybe half of the top eight that Penn State could be, you know, there could be a little turnover uh, there as well. We'll see how Eric Wilson maybe can fit in all all Ivy isn't all big 10, but there's been some very good players uh, on the offensive line come through uh, the Ivy league. So hopefully uh, this will be some good news uh, for the Penn state offense. Let's uh, let's keep it going. Uh, we talked about an, an addition. Now we got to talk about a subtraction. I don't know that if this is a big loss, uh, Greg pickle, but uh, another Florida wideout, four-star wideout that Penn State at one point was very high on is no longer with the program. T.J. Jones, who really didn't do anything this year in, uh, in, um, in 2020. 2020 was all about Jahan Dotson and the emergence of Parker Washington, and everyone else really took a back seat. T.J. Jones, I think I remember when – I remember, Greg, when James's uh, – Spring spring uh, depth chart came out. People were all 
all a buzz about TJ. I think he was running first team at the time, a big receiver from Florida in the portal. Uh, gotta say sayonara. And also, Greg, you know, he was one of two. John Dunmore before the season, uh, a guy that I really thought had a chance to be a player, uh, left the program. I believe he's with Florida Atlantic now. But Greg, just your thoughts on on losing losing the two four, four star uh, recruits from Florida at the wideout position. Uh, neither one of them panned out, and you know we both I think thought at least one of them was going to make a big impact. Here we are, they're moving on. How big of a loss would you say T.J. Jones is? Yeah, I mean, obviously you hate to lose guys who you thought were going to be good players once they developed a little bit. And John Dudmore and T.J. Jones both received some pretty good praise from coaches and teammates this past offseason. So it was a little bit surprising when Dunmore obviously moved on much earlier than Jones, but Jones didn't really make much of a splash this year. And I don't know if he saw the writing on the wall and thought Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert Smith had already passed him by. And maybe he didn't think there was going to be an opportunity to get back, you know, a foothold back on the depth chart. I don't know if he decided that, um, you know, when he, when he really broke things down, if he just didn't want to, you know, if he didn't want to be up in state college, if he preferred to be in Florida. So who knows? We'll see. But like you said, Dunmore's at Florida Atlantic. I wouldn't be shocked if Jones ends up back down in the South as well. And, you know, Penn State has signed a ton of receivers over the last few recruiting cycles. So I don't think this is the end of the world for, for Penn State. Um, obviously, they thought he was a guy who could contribute, but they have plenty of guys waiting in the wings. Right. I think that was Lola's cell phone. She was trying to call you something about she wanted some food and some attention. That's so, right. I mean, just, you know, Lola can be a little needy during the blue-white breakdown. So just just bear with us. Okay, Greg, so just to put a little uh, cap just on the on the transfer portal, with Jones's defection, so we're talking about, you know, uh, Micah Bones recently left, uh, and I believe is either Oklahoma-bound or strongly considering Oklahoma. Judge, Kel- Judge Culpepper, the reserve defensive tackle, uh, left after the season. C.J. Thorpe, the one-time promising offensive guard, uh, played at Pittsburgh Central Catholic, <clears throat> is now left the program, and he might actually be, end up being a defensive lineman in 2021. And Antonio Shelton, uh, Penn State's starting nose tackle, uh, who, had, who came on strong, I think, down the stretch of 2020, uh, is now planning, I think, on playing another year with the Florida Gators. Greg, am I wrong to say that of these five, clearly the biggest loss is Shelton. Penn State needs uh, – now they need to find a nose tackle. Shelton was very good at occupying blockers. The other guys maybe had their moments, especially Thorpe, but we never really got to see Judge Culpepper. Uh, Micah Bones, we hardly knew you, and the same goes for T.J. Jones. The losses seem to have be, seem to be fairly minimal uh, to date, but like you said, the sometimes things shake out in the spring as well. Penn State's had some big losses in the spring in recent years, uh, but right now, not that serious uh, in terms of uh, talent, losing talent in terms of the, the portal, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's how I see it at this point. You know, Penn State has had, and again, you mentioned spring practices could change the conversation, but Penn State has lost some pretty big uh, expected contributors to the portal or whatever in years past. And maybe these guys go elsewhere and really do become, uh, you know, the kind of players that we thought they could be. But when you see guys kind of move down a step, which is what most of these guys have done, it maybe said, well, except, you know, Bowens is the most interesting of them all because, 
he goes to Oklahoma, which of course is a quarterback factory and, yeah. you know, a three-star out of high school, a guy that maybe, yeah, I, that's the most, that's it. I'll be most interested in following his progression down there. Obviously with Caleb Williams and, and Rattler there, he doesn't have a clear path to the field, but they thought he was worth a shot. So that's interesting. Um, and then, yeah, with Shelton, obviously yeah, if he was still here, I think it would help Penn state and shore up some defensive tackle depth. There's no mm-hmm. doubt, but he also spent a lot of time here. Maybe he just needed a fresh start and maybe Penn state needs one of that position group as well. One last thought here on the blue white breakdown. Uh, and just remember, we're going to tease it again. Probably going to have Dave Jones on definitely next week. I'd say 85% chance of that. Also, uh, Dustin Hawkinsmith is still doing uh, some breakdown podcasts as well. Uh, Greg and I are going to be expanding. We just had we just talked about a grand plan for uh, late winter and spring, so we're very serious about this. You're going to hear a lot more from us. But Greg, <clears throat> uh, just so so Mike Yersich, uh, you know, going to make a lot of money. Sandy Barber says, you know, football's football's priority. That kind of drives that kind of drives the revenue stream. So we're not going to flinch if we need to do an upgrade. Kirk will buy you out. We'll bring Mike Yersich in. I still have to ask you your thoughts. Penn State looks like it's not going to make any more coaching changes. Nothing on the defensive side. You could you could argue all you want that maybe Penn State offense uh, had some issues, especially against some of the better teams. But Greg, so did the defense. Um, but James expresses is obviously expressing a lot of confidence in his defensive staff, led by longtime defensive coordinator Brent Pry. On a scale of 1 to 10, I mean, I have to say I'm a little surprised it's status quo. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, again, I think the biggest concern there for Penn State fans is that what does that group change, the the group that's been with James Franklin the longest now, what can they change to prevent tackling from being an issue and explosive pass and just pass defense in general from being an issue. I mean, it's not like last year was the first time that stuff has popped up. So that was a little bit surprising. I know he has said, James Franklin has said on countless occasions that if you look at the numbers, he feels like they played good defense here over the last seven years. And that clearly from the second he said that uh, a couple of months ago when things weren't going so well, was a sign that maybe changes weren't coming. He has kind of beat that drum over and over and over again since. So he's happy with it. I know fans, a lot of the people we interact with certainly aren't happy with it at times, but that's what they're going to have to do in the spring and then the summer is fix the pass defense. And it can't just be saying that we didn't recruit good enough players because that's not a good enough excuse either. And then the tackling, I mean, it's fine to blame the, the ta- you know, the, the safety not part of the game, but at some point other teams aren't having the same issues they are. So a lot of work for that group to do. Yeah. One, just one suggestion from me, Greg, maybe, Maybe get Brandon Smith a little closer to the ball in 2021 instead of playing out in deep left center field. He's, he can close. He's got great speed. Maybe there's got to be a way to get him a little bit closer to the ball, a little bit closer to the action because he's their most disruptive linebacker. That's just me. We'll see how it works out. But we got a lot more to get to in the coming weeks on the Blue White Breakdown Penn Lives Penn State Football Podcast. It was great talking with you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed the conference. Uh, NFL football games. There's still some Penn Staters left. We've got a Super Bowl coming up in about 10 days, and uh, we'll probably be talking about that next week. And I'm sure there's going to be some more player movement. You guys stick with us. We're going to be here uh, year round. We're not going anywhere. 
So uh, we'll be back next week with some new info, some entertaining uh, guests, Dave Jones, and we're just going to go from there. Thank you.